I am very glad that you've come today to listen to my story. I know that you probably have a hundred things on your mind to get ready yet for the, the feast day that you're celebrating this day, but I have to share with you what happened to me because it changed me. Not just like when you wake up in the morning and decide that you need a new outlook on life. Not, not when you decide to get married or when you decide to move to a, a new village or something like that. It, it really changed me. You see, from the time that I was a teenager, I knew that I would be different from all of the other kids, all of the other people that I knew. My friends and I used to joke about who was the strongest, you know, as we wrestled. Uh, we'd we'd uh, uh, kid about uh, what girl in the village we were going to marry, uh, something like that. Like every other boy in Israel, I'd go to synagogue with my family, sometimes even the temple in Jerusalem, to worship the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But my friends and I don't see each other anymore. And I can't say that I blame them. When that first ulcerous scab appeared on my face, they all left me. They shunned me. My parents, they were afraid. And that made me afraid. Leprosy is not treatable. You can't get rid of it. It's a curse. When my condition was confirmed by the priest, uh, my mother cried. And when my condition worsened and the sores spread, I cried. I was made to leave our village. My mother, my father, my little sister, they all walked with me the few hours to the leper colony. I'd never seen it before. Men and women and even young people my age, covered in sores, bandages over their heads, their arms, sometimes their whole body. The hair was white. Some of them were grotesque because of the disease. They were the walking dead. And tears streamed down my sister's face. It was hard for my mother to leave me my father had to pull her away. He didn't look at me when we parted. Not for lack of love, I thought, but because of it. I could see his lip quiver as he tried to appear strong. He said, pray. And he said, and we will pray. Those were the last words I heard from my father. The last contact I've had with my family. The last time I felt anything like real love. I prayed for a long time, but eventually I stopped. Why did this happen to me? What, what sin did, my, did I commit? The rabbi said it could be anything. It could be a bad thought, an angry word, but that God was clearly punishing me for something. 
It's kind of an odd thing, leprosy. There's certainly pain involved. But my fellow lepers and I agree that the numbness, the lack of feeling, the pain of the disease itself, it's not what hurts the most. What hurts the most is deep down inside, the pain that we feel in our hearts at the separation from our loved ones, knowing that we could never experience a warm touch, that we could never go back to our former happy, now seemingly carefree lives, and that we're cut off from the religious life, the religious heart of our people. We lived on the mercy of others, dependent on their generosity. We were sometimes forced to beg for food, for clothing. And if we were out in the country and we met anybody, we had to cry, unclean, as the law of Moses declared. It felt like holding up a sign that said, don't come near me, I'm not human anymore. I'd almost forgotten what it was like to go to synagogue on the Sabbath, to hear the rabbi read from one of the prophets or from the books of Moses. I'd forgotten how to laugh. As the years progressed, so did my disease, and I longed for death. It's the only escape for a leper, you know. Death was almost like a friend that that seemed far off, sometimes very near, but always out of reach. I often wondered if God cared about me anymore. Had he condemned me, really, for something that I had done? I couldn't know. And then there began to be talk in the colony of a miracle worker, a man named Jesus, supposedly from Nazareth in the north. Some said that he had fed thousands of people with a few uh, loaves of bread and with a couple of fish. One person told of having witnessed him raising a little girl from the dead. Some say he was able to drive out demons. Others shared fantastic stories about him, this wandering rabbi. Unbelievable stories. It made me think of Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army. He'd once been healed of leprosy by the prophet Elisha. But it didn't really matter. No one like Elisha, not even this Jesus rabbi, was going to come to our little village We're almost in Samaritan territory, and no self-respecting Jew, let alone a miracle-working rabbi, would be caught dead here. One day, I and some of the other men from our colony, we decided to go out to the road, and hopefully some strangers would come by, we'd beg for scraps of food, clothing. It's always humiliating to have to do that. Most of the people ignore us. Sometimes they throw rocks at us. I suppose it's because they're afraid that we'll try to approach them. But once in a while, 
Some kind soul leaves us something. So we sat there on the side of the hill overlooking the road uh, that's on the way to our village and we waited probably for about an hour before we finally heard somebody coming. It was a, a small group of people and as, we, as they came up over the rise, we, we stood up, we began to call out to them, unclean, unclean, and can you spare us anything at all? And I'm sure that our voices were just mere croakings because of the disease, unimaginable sounds because of the leprosy, but most travelers get the message. The group that was approaching, they stopped, and they looked at us briefly. When they realized what we wanted, and when they realized what we were, they turned and continued walking on. Except for one man who kept staring at us. I wondered if maybe he had never seen lepers before. Then someone near me started and, and he jumped and he said, do you know who that is? He said, that's Jesus. That's that rabbi, that miracle worker. There was a moment's pause and we had kind of all looked at each other. And then the realization of what our companion was saying dawned on us. And as though at a signal, we started yelling, Jesus, save us. Master, have mercy on us. Rabbi, have pity on us. I'm surprised he understood at all what we were saying because you couldn't even, everybody was talking over everybody else. But he could, and he did. He smiled and he took a step toward us and he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And we understood what he was saying. Our ears drank it in like cool water on parched ground. And we ran, if you can call it running. It was a lot of stumbling and falling down and getting up again. And suddenly we noticed that the sores were gone from our bodies. And we tore off the bandages. And our skin was clean and new. Even our hair was black again. We laughed and we embraced each other. Oh boy, and then did we run. And as I ran, a psalm flashed through my mind, a, a psalm I had learned as a child in what seemed like another life. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. My companions didn't even know it when I stopped running. They certainly paid no heed when I turned and looked back the way we had come. And I began to run again, not, this time not to the priest, but back the way I had come, back to the man who had healed me. And tears stung my eyes as I reached the road and caught up to the travelers. There he was, walking along, laughing with his friends. And then I did something I hadn't done for many, many years. I went right into the middle of them. 
and I fell on my face in the road and I grabbed his feet and I thanked him over and over again with my voice and with my tears. He said something there to his friends that I don't remember even to this day. What I do remember is that he reached down and took hold of my arms, raised me up and looked into my eyes. His eyes were laughing. I felt love wash over me, real love, love like I'd never known before. And I'll never forget his next words. He said, go your way. Your faith has saved you. I can't tell you why it happened. I can only tell you that it did. And it has forever changed me because I have my life back. In some way, even that I don't fully understand yet, I have a very new and different life, a forever life. I saw it in his eyes. My dear friends in Christ, what is it that we're thankful for today? Are we thankful for food? Are we thankful for clothing, for our homes, our employment, family, friends, for this great country that we live in, for our freedom? Yes, on this day we are thankful for these things and we are thankful for more. Or at least we should be. Moses tells the nation of Israel that he has brought them, that Yahweh has brought them, to a, a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land in which they will lack nothing. But maybe today you don't feel like the Lord has brought you to a good land. Maybe it's not milk and honey that's flowing in your house. Maybe it's hardship. Maybe you don't feel so thankful today. There are certainly saints in the past who have endured great hardships. We have a letter from one who spent a good deal of time in prison for sharing his faith and telling others about Jesus. You know him as Paul. And what does Paul say from prison in the midst of his hardship? He says, pray and give thanks to God. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How can Paul be so thankful? Perhaps you remember when it was that President Lincoln issued a decree that the nation should observe a national day of thanksgiving. After listing the blessings of God for good weather, for abundant harvest, Lincoln proclaimed that the last Thursday of November should be observed as a day of thanks. He said, No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God. But do you know when that proclamation was issued? It was right in the heart of the Civil War. Quite a hardship. 
And the reason that Paul and President Lincoln could be thankful for the, the uh, for, thankful regardless of the circumstances that they found themselves in is the same reason that the leper returned to give thanks to Jesus. Yes, we're thankful for food and family, for house and home, for good weather and plentiful harvest. But aren't we chiefly thankful that we have been healed of our own leprosy, from the curse of our sin, healed from our own death sentence? This thanks that we offer to our God goes beyond just His providing so abundantly for our temporal needs. We can give God thanks in whatever circumstance we find ourselves because He has overcome the curse of our sin. He has overcome and defeated the devil. He has given us His robe of righteousness. He has restored our relationship with the Father. And whatever happens in this life, we know what our eternity looks like. The Lord Jesus was not afraid to come right in among us, to reach out, to touch us, to have the burden of our sin placed on Him and to carry that sin to the cross. And by His death and resurrection, we have been made pure and clean and whole. And we have been given a new life, a forever life. And for His great mercy, for this great healing, for this great demonstration of His love, we will give thanks to God for eternity. Amen.